0: Hey, okay, everybody. Welcome in to episode two of Jeremy Takes on HIT. Thank you for stopping by and giving us a listen. If you have heard our first episode and you're coming back, thanks again. If this is your first time listening in, then uh, take a take a minute, listen to what we're all about, give us a try. And uh, probably because we only have one other episode, which was posted last week, it's probably still relevant. Um, If you are new, then let me just take a few seconds and go through the format here to get you familiar to kind of what's happening. I'm taking a couple of news stories from the week that was. Um, This week was going to end on April 27th, 2018 and uh take a couple of stories and and go, come at them from three different ways so the first thing you're going to hear about each in a particular story is going to be just the facts where you're going to know you're going to hear what's happening uh what what got reported and so just a very uh factual straightforward view of the story the uh the second aspect of this you're going to hear why you should care what makes this particular story relevant to you, whoever you may be. I'll try to include who the who the you are. And then lastly, you're gonna hear my take, Jeremy's take on what this is gonna really mean down the road, maybe some historical context, uh, and then just kind of wrap it all up to uh, why I thought that this was important and kind of discuss it and and distill it down. So let's go ahead, sit back, get ready and let's kick off uh, episode number two and our first story of the week that was ending April 27th. So the first story that we're gonna cover here happened earlier in the week and it's around a rule that's being proposed by HHS, which is Health and Human Services, who is the umbrella department of CMS, who, um, if you wonder why they're important, they are the governing body over Medicaid and Medicare. So they're very, very important from a, a revenue source because virtually every hospital that accepts insurance has a large portion of their patient mix is from either Medicaid or Medicare. And there is a rule around an incentive program of changing meaningful use. And and again, uh, if you heard last week's episode, we talked a little bit about what meaningful use is. If you don't know, there's a lot of resources out there. Hit listen to to episode one and get kind of a, a primer on what meaningful use is. So the changes are several uh basically they're going from six measures in stage three of meaningful use to four so those four measures that they are going to to use are e-prescribing health information exchange provider to provider data exchange and then public health and clinical data exchange so uh, What does that mean? What is that? So the the e-prescribing I think is fairly straightforward. Everybody ought to understand what electronic prescribing is and that's been around for a while. Uh, The last one, the public health and clinical data exchange is also very straightforward. This is the the phase one meaningful use interfaces, the syndromic surveillance, the reportable labs, immunization, uh, public health, everything going back into these government entities. And the database, so that's that's fairly straightforward. Uh, health information exchange and uh, provider to provider, also with a, a emphasis on the uh, two opioid focused uh, measures. One revolving around querying a prescription drug monitoring program or PDMP, uh, also to to catch drug seekers. The interesting thing, I think, is to not only to one recognize what's there, but then let's talk about some of the things that are going away. You've got uh, request, of sum- summary of care, clinical information reconciliation, patient specific education, which was something that I think uh, education was a big part of, of the uh, reporting measures. One of the things that I think is probably that I'll drill down on later in my take uh, is, and then also to know why this is gonna be important to you, is gonna be the patient, uh, excuse me, not patient-specific education, I just talked about that. Uh, the uh, patient-generated health data. So that's, that's really a shot across the bow right there, and I'll get more into that later. Maybe one of the last things that I'll talk about here on this first piece, is there's a proposed change that would require hospitals to publish their charge master, which is a price list and they should post it online every year. Now there's another guy out in the ether out there that has a, I'm not sure it's a, whether it's a podcast or I know there are videos that I've seen called Adam ruins everything. And he's got a uh, breakdown, a kind of a a economics one-on-one approach and really does a good job of defining what a charge master is. Uh, The the Jeremy uh, Ruins Everything uh, edition of the charge master is basically what the list price or retail price of all services and goods provided by the hospital. Um, Basically, it's a master price list of what the hospital is going to charge, what and, and essentially comes down to self-pay customers now. Uh, they're also used as a tool primarily for negotiation with private payers. CMS uses their own calculus and then also has a bunch of uh, mystical math that they use to derive to a some geographically specific price for providers in that area and then they have these measures and other things that can uh, increase or take away mostly it's take away the revenue that you could get from a particular medicare primarily patient okay so that that's basically the facts of this new rule it's um it's significant and it's just a proposed rule it's not actually the law uh, and it's a rule, so it's not legislation. What it, what a rule is, is a piece of policy created by the executive branch under authority granted to them through legislation. So the legislation, the laws that are passed, don't actually have every action and uh, consequence delineated within that actual legislation. There's lots. What they do is they leave it up to these executive branch departments, Health and Human Services, to create rules that satisfy responsibilities or oversight granted to them through legislation so because of meaningful use, because of the HITECH Act and the creation of meaningful use, we have these proposed measures. And so the measures change over time. Now, one of the interesting things is that EHRs have to code for these particular measures. So if the rule does become uh, accepted then you're going to see EHRs and other products within the health IT ecosystem have to develop their code to meet this role of meaning this meaningful use addition so that is a good segue into why you should care why should you care because EHR companies are going to code to these rules. So what does that mean? Well, so if you're Fitbit or you're some patient generated data company, that rule is gonna be significant to you. And I'm gonna drill down into that in the third piece, third part. The other reason you should care is that this affects provider reimbursements. Uh, one of the things that were said in this article is that the, the carrot part of this is over with, but there's still a stick. Now, providers individually and uh, healthcare facilities have to decide whether or not the stick is worth, worth it for them to go and take the changes and the updates to the code in order to meet these measures. And then you have to attest, turn in uh, documentation that you've done all of this stuff, so there is a cost. Even if the EHR doesn't charge you, <laughs> but they will. To meet all of these measures, there will be a cost in projects, resources, what have you, a resource cost, a soft cost, to meet these measures. So who, who, who's gonna care about this? EHR is gonna care. Periphery, third-party, ecosystem, outlying companies are going to care. And then providers, healthcare facilities, they're going to care. So if you understand kind of how you fit in that flow, then I think you find whether your level of interest, concern, happiness, in this. I'll say this. Let's let's kind of transition over into the the third part, my take. The PDMP part of this is very good. There are some states out there that aren't doing the PDMP prescription drug monitoring program part of this like they should. This is a problem. You can't get an opioid painkiller legally without a legal prescription, which means that a doctor has to write you a valid prescription. It should be not unreasonable to ask all of these people writing the Schedule One narcotic prescriptions, to do a simple search against a database to see when is the last time this person looking at you got a refill for a pain drug. It's not unreasonable for all of these drugs when they're filled for it to be uploaded into a database. It's not unreasonable for us to use the same tactics, the same procedures that have been used against methamphetamines and their manufacturer. You think about all the new inconveniences that that, that people have to go through to get a drug with pseudoephedrine in it. Who loves having a cold and being sick schlepping up to the drugstore, and then having the lady behind the register look at you like you're, you know, some Breaking Bad wannabe to get some cold medicine. But on the other hand, we've got opioids, Oxycontin, hillbilly heroin, sitting in a gumball dispenser. So that's a good part. The other thing, and to go back to the patient generated health data, that's hard to begin with. It's hard for providers to take in a bunch of information from a patient and try to sift through everything to find what's relevant. It's hard enough for doctors to look at all of the subjective data, the notes, prior lab reports, prior radiology reports, prior op reports, mountains of data that are in the EHR captured by clinically trained people to recognize and document what's relevant to a patient's condition. And now you want doctors to look at GMAW's Fitbit. And what are you going to do? What's the difference between somebody that went from getting 7,000 steps every day to 5,000? What are you going to do with that? Or what are you going to do if there's a spike in their heart rate two days out of 60? Well, this is in the EHR. You're just asking to get sued. It's in the EHR. It's right there. Some hotshot lawyer is going to pull it up. Their weight went down. Their weight went up. Their heart rate went up, they're sleeping less. Any idiot out of a thousand people that you look at in a week should have spotted this one needle and with this patient-generated health data been able to spot that this patient's going downhill. What we in the health IT community need to demand is relevancy to this data. Providers are inundated with data. What we need and what they need is information. Now, the buzzword that you're gonna see out in Twitter and out in the ethosphere is, oh, oh, we demand patient engagement. Patient engagement, patient engagement. What is that defined as? What role in the care team is the patient providing? Are they educated around their condition? Do they can they make suggestions? Do they know? Are they compliant? If there is, is, you know, all of these relationships can be abused from one side to the other. The reality is, is that I don't. You can see from Fitbit's stock price and their buzz in the community that their industry is facing some hard times. A lot of shine's falling off that apple. And now they're in the hard part of making things work, which kind of goes back to what I said last week with Amazon and ho, ho, wait till we get to this next story. But let me wrap this up on my take. There's a lot of good things that that are in here. Again, the PDMP is probably the best. E-prescribing is good. E-prescribing saves a lot of sick patients a lot of time from getting their medications. So that's a lot. So that's good right there. A lot of these registries, public re- health, public health reporting. I've been working in meaningful use data on the integration side, interoperability side since, since it came out. Two thousand nine. I don't see the I don't see the ball being moved down the field on that. I'm not one of these research-focused, number crunching, pointy-headed, slide rule, programmable calculator, fancy smancy guys. So maybe it's making a difference for somebody, but I don't see anybody coming out of a hospital clutching their loved ones, saying, thank God for this syndromic surveillance registry. It made a difference in my outcome. But I could be wrong. If I am wrong, please somebody let me know. I like to learn things. I like to know stuff. So let me know. All right. Let's take a break here. Pause for a minute. Gear back up for this next For this next story and get back at it, and we're back in. All right, let's look at our other story that we've got for this week. So Venrock was featured on CNBC for conducting a survey of around 300 people. They represent uh, health IT startups, large employers, insurance companies, healthcare providers, academics, got to have the government, investors which is very interesting and then professional service providers. And they asked them a bunch of different questions around what they think is gonna happen in healthcare in the upcoming year. And it is, their, their take was interesting. Uh, there is a, a lot out there that you can see uh, about the complete survey. I'm not going to go through that. Uh, but in this first piece, when we talk about the facts, I'm just gonna kinda read through some of these, uh, some of these metrics from their survey, and then we'll we'll del- drill down, delve in, go a little deeper. So, one of the questions that I found interesting, they said, uh, "Which of these, co- which of these companies will make the most progress in healthcare in 2018?" So, they, there's five companies here. It would have been interesting to see. If they allowed people to write in what company, what were their top five companies that were going to make? And uh, that would have been some interesting feedback, but I, but, uh, this was, uh, they asked uh, about these five companies. So uh, what five companies are going to make the most progress, which, which is, which is I want to emphasize and then we'll talk about more later. But, but the five companies were IBM, Google, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon and i read those out of order on purpose because i just want you to think about you know when you hear those five companies IBM Microsoft Apple Google and Amazon i think that it's pretty obvious to anybody in the healthcare it world today that none of those five companies have a tremendous impact on on in the environment and if you're if you're if you're jumping up, waving your hand in the air, IBM, 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 just go on and have a seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows IBM has a presence in all of IT, in a you know, air quote, pure data sense, pure hardware sense. So I don't everybody knows that's not what they're talking about. Okay. So when you say IBM and we're talking about making progress in healthcare in twenty eighteen, we're not talking about IBM, okay? We're talking about Watson. So let's 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 just kind of put the hardware discussion in the drawer. So I'm gonna we're gonna read them off in reverse order. From the least to the most. So at two percent it's Microsoft. At 3% it's IBM. At 18% it's Google, which I assume means alphabet. At 26% it's Apple. And at 51% of the 300 people responding to the survey said, Amazon will make the most progress in healthcare in 2018. By the way, when you're listening to this, it'll probably be May, so they don't have a lot of time left to make a lot of progress. The next thing that I thought was interesting was uh, the statement that that, uh, telemedicine is starting to get real traction, confidence is high, that a particular company called Teladoc will rise while the respondents can express concern about Fitbit and the wearables industry. Link between the last these two stories, yes, alert alert. Similarly, telemedicine and big data analytics sectors are expected to grow over the next twelve months, while wearables and consumer sensors and EHRs are expected to decline. We'll talk about that expected expectation to decline in our third segment. So analytics and, and big data are expected 54% of the respondents expected them to experience rapid growth. Now, don't ask me what rapid growth means. That's what they said. Telemedicine is going to be 41% rapid growth. And then they do not it must drop off the table because they don't even give you numbers for the rest of it. Probably if I went to the end of the survey to the real numbers part, Instead of just looking at a screenshot of the fancy-dancy picture, I would know, but I don't. Go look at it for yourself. Give somebody else some hits, some clicks, and then tell other people to come back and click on this. Finally, on to the facts part, expectations are high for AI to make a difference in healthcare, but it'll be a while before we see real-world use cases. How true or false is that statement? Again, we'll read this from reverse order. 9% are cynical, crusty, beat down, all that's opinion. 9% say, no, it's just hype, and just a new name for big data and old analytics. 30% say, maybe healthcare adopts the tech but it will adopt it slowly, and the tech is referring to AI. So 39% of the market thinks the best it could be is that eventually, somewhere down the line, one day, healthcare will adopt this technology. 7% say yes. In 2018, we will see successful applications and business models. So that's the other end of the spectrum to compare to the 9%. 7, 7% says, yes, we're gonna see it and it's gonna work and it's gonna be this year. While 54%, the major, over the majority of the entire survey, say, yes, AI will be successful. Yes, AI will make a difference in healthcare. Yes, there will be real world use cases but it will take two to three years for it to really matter. So you've got 39% saying, me, and then 61% saying, on the outside, 2021, we're going to see better outcomes because of AI. Some of that was opinion. I apologize. I'm trying to trying to stick to my three, three segments, but it's hard. My opinion flows like the rivers to the sea. It's hard to contain. Why you should care. You're not in AI. You're doing whatever. Why should you care about what some fancy-dancy bankers, what-sum, providers, large employers, all this list of people that I saw who in your mind's eye have cigars, sitting in a Cadillac, may or may not look like Boss Hogg from Dukes of Hazzard. Why do you care what their opinion are? I'll tell you why. Because to some extent, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy when they get excited about something, quote, unquote, something, anything, because some of those people that they, uh, that they surveyed are investors. These companies, particularly AI, are in this startup phase. They need momentum, okay? It's kind of like the saying goes, Sometimes I can confuse you with motion and make you think it's progress. There's a lot of motion going on here. So if these people are putting their words out there, you know sure as shooting, they're putting their money out there. And if the money is going into it, the thought process is you put enough Monkeys in a room with enough typewriters, you're going to get the great works of literature. You throw enough dollars at a problem, and you're going to get a solution. That's what Amazon's thinking. That's what Apple is thinking. Why? Because, like we said last week, it's the fastest growing part of the the economy. They're not dumb. They want to grab some of those dollars. They're tired of fighting and scrapping in the, the markets that they've dominated, that they're creating. They want to go somewhere else and have some growth. So now they're coming in and they're going to tout their abilities through technology and they're going to tell you about how how AI is going to change the world. So it's a lot like, back to the self-fulfilling prophecy, I have begun my own philosophy about prophecy. Maybe that rhymed a little bit. In which the my philosophy is anything that people say they either can or can't do, they're right. I have a lot of people in my personal life saying, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I'm you know, it's amazing that you're doing this or whatever. Uh, I say, I turn around and say to myself, you know what? They're right. They say they can't do it. They can't do it. They couldn't do it because they're not going to put what it takes to, to make it happen. They're not going to devote what it takes. These people are doing the opposite. They're saying that AI is going to ha- make it happen. So that's what you need to know. Their dollars, their interest are going to go into that. That's why you should care. So now here's the take. The part that I've been doing the whole time, but now it's 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 unfettered the horse is out of the barn, we're not going to be closing any doors. If what your definition of real-world use cases are is that we're going to cure cancer, I wouldn't look for that in two to three years. If you want to look for some better outcomes on the margins here and there, do some things that are pretty rote repetition for a lot of these clinicians. If that's you know if that's what's gonna happen, gonna make things a little bit easier, do some self checks on these radiology exams. Pathologists may or may not get some help on AI looking at some of these cells, doing some identification either organisms or tumors or what have you, yeah. You're gonna see some benefit from AI pretty soon. They're working on it, they're pretty close. You know, something's going to happen. Is it going to change your world? Is it going to change my world? Depends what your world is. If IBM and Microsoft are only getting 5% of the love from this group, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a lot out of them. You know, Watson, in my opinion, is a solution looking for a problem. Microsoft has do, did a successful job of taking the consumer out of the operating system business in the 80s or in the 90s at least. They, and therefore, what they did, they did to themselves through commoditization of, of the operating system. So where's their revenue center coming from? They're, they're lunging from one thing to the next. Azure, they may have something there. They're trying, we'll see. What's it gonna to mean to health care? Eh, they shut down health fault. Their EHR didn't do anything. You know, if you want to see how successful somebody is in healthcare, it doesn't it's a small community. You can see where the people work. Not a lot of health IT people working in Seattle. Not for the size town it is, not for the size company Microsoft is. Uh, you know. I don't believe it. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. IBM, IBM's a, a hardware maker in a in a hardware commodity world. The cloud has killed hardware. Probably not my kids' generation. Well, maybe my kids' generation. Probably never touch a server. Everything's going to be over the internet. Who would have believed that? Servers, they don't matter. I will say that hardware dominating software or software dominating hardware is very cyclical. Right now, how long are these cycles? I don't know. I'd probably say maybe a couple of decades. Right now, it's software's time to shine. If you're developing hardware, you're you got a tough tough road to hoe. Got FDA regulations, although the FDA is trying to make that easier. You got miniaturization, Moore's Law, overseas manufacturing, IP constraints. Hardware is a tough game to be in. I don't think it's ever been cheaper to be in the software business. You could turn on a server in the Amazon cloud. Throw code out there, use GitHub, all the open source tools. It's, it's, it's too easy to take your mental capacity, your capabilities and throw it into software and get a return on your investment. Eventually is hardware gonna catch up? I assume so. You know, when you when you look at hardware and software from the mainframe to client server to the cloud, all these different environments, it's ebbed and flowed. One has served the other. Software has been the servant of hardware several times. Now it's software. And part of the reason that software, Shine talked about AWS, SaaS is here to stay. It's gonna be the dominant player. So if your AI solution isn't in the cloud, gonna to be tough. It's gonna to be tough. Just from a data acquisition standpoint, and I know that that's probably what I'm the closest to in my day-to-day life, but the amount of data, and, that's, and, the, and the reality is, is that AI, machine learning, all of this stuff, is in such the infancy that nobody can tell you what is important, and a good AI Machine learning solution will say that what's important to you is not important to somebody else. And with all those variables out there, how can then anybody turn around and tell you, oh, so you can budget half a million dollars for the next 10 years for your hardware budget? Nobody nobody, nobody can tell you that. Not legitimately. Not unless it's trying to sell you something. So therefore, the SaaS, cloud, environment, it's the only legitimate way to go. They've, they've solved the HIPAA problems. HIPAA's gonna have to change significantly. I don't under, I don't see how it's gonna be able to move forward. Blockchain, people are trying to shove that round peg into the square hole or square peg into the round hole. HIPAA's gonna have to change for, for blockchain if blockchain's ever gonna, gonna catch on. Finally, as we wrap up here, just like I said before, and telemedicine. T- telemedicine is something everybody should be aware of. Telemedicine is going to help access problems in rural communities. Telemedicine is going to help labor shortages in large communities. Telemedicine is going to help physical plant problems with hospitals. Telemedicine is going to help with disaster response. Telemedicine is going to make a difference. You just got to get the businesses churned up. You got to get the infrastructure there. You've got to get enough bandwidth in these areas to have reliable, secure video conferencing with the hardware. So hardware take note with the hardware to be able to catch the vitals, do the exam, all the minimum things that you have to physically be there to do for the patient in order to have a good visit. One of the things to, to watch out for on telemedicine, everybody's talking about it for general practice visits, but there's a lot of buzz out there for mental health therapy. I think that's, that's going to be huge for telemedicine. All right, that's about up. My My promise to you guys out there, even though I'm fired up, I'm going to take it back down for just a second, is to try to keep this under an hour. We're right there teetering on the edge. That should handle you being able to listen to me, depending on your commute, catch it all in one day, which is good, because a little of Jeremy goes a long way, but anyway, Thank you. This was, this was, uh, closing out episode number two for the week ending April 27th, 2018. This was Jeremy Takes On HIT. My time is up and I thank you for yours.